everybody. It is the Scene World Podcast. My name is AJ. His name is Jurg. Uh, we've done this a hundred times. From today, right. So yeah. we have a special treat for you for the 100th edition. And that would be Mike Clark, who is a very known pioneering Amiga composer. And he worked recently on Insidious. Mm-hmm. A perfect uh, SID emulation, or almost perfect, yeah. as a plug-in. And so we had decided to interview him about it, as it got a very good um, echo among the retro scene when yeah. he announced it to be released. And it, con- it contains characteristics of all the famous composers like Chris Hillsbeck, like Rob Hubbard and all that stuff. And uh, and with it, we also have Martin Amann, our little cute cuddle bear again. Yes, yes. Because he is our um, composer expert and he is using the plugin himself when creating new music on a PC that has the C64 sounds in it. So that is why he is a part of that. Because neither... H.A., no, I are music guys. Plus, he was really excited when he heard about the the whole Insidious plugin. And he was actually, he was using it, I think, before we even, we mentioned we were going to do this interview. And he was like, oh, oh, and he was like playing things. Exactly, exactly, yes. So he, he was aware of the plugin and using it before we actually um, told him that we are going to interview Mike Clark. So he not only did uh, Last Ninja and all that stuff on the Amiga, he also is an expert on the SID, which is yep. quite interesting. Yes. Yes, yeah. indeed. Before so, we get there, though, we have we've got a couple of little bits of news. I don't really have anything, actually. It's just pretty much all on Jurg. Yeah, yeah. All righty. So we had an interview, a classic interview with... Holger Havident Wessling, and he released now his new book. Um, he is basically known for being um, originally a part of Databacker, the okay. um, famous publisher to post, uh, not to post, to write and publish books for the Amiga, the Atari, the C64. Yeah, and um, he released a new book. It's called "Impossible Mission One and Two: The Official Guide." Okay, and um, it's available as a hardcover or paperback, and currently can be ordered from Amazon Germany for uh, thirty bucks for the hardcover and twenty-two euros for the paperback. I will put links down below so people can see that. Yes. In the podcast description. Yes. And, um, well, it's one of those, I would say, official retro games mm-hmm. books. So he's actually working with them. Okay. Other news. Um, remote which is one of our future guests, yes. released a, VH, a, v, um, a VHS music album. Yeah, yeah, he did. He did. I ordered it 
But due to Corona, it's in the post since over a week. I've got the the last uh, release. Nice. And um, also another news: the Retro Magazine World Four was released, English version. Yeah. yeah, we discussed the last issue why it's called Retro Magazine World. I don't know, but they released number four now in the English version. Yeah. You're cool. Cool, cool. Yes, and um, also, also um, in May, we spoke about that before. There was a rumor. That um, Thunderbird of the German retro scene is actually working on a new issue for Digital Talk. And he just told me via Twitter they're actually working on a Christmas release. Oh, hey now. Nice. Yeah. yeah, well, to put this a bit on perspective, Digital Talk is um, a magazine that has been published for 27 years. And it uh, at once, at, at some point in uh, 99, I was asked to um, publish and put together two issues. And when I was asked if I want to take this over permanently, I declined because I said I would rather make my own disc Mac instead. Mm -hmm. And this is how the world sprung upon. Yeah. So... It's nice to see that even after the official death of the digital talk, German disc mag, now somebody is working on continuing it. Um, so something to look forward to this Christmas. Yeah, new, uh, digital talk issue. <laughs> and if this was a secret, please don't unfriend me. But I guess it wasn't because it was already posted in May on um, on the Digital Talk homepage that they are having plans to do it. And I just got the confirmation that's actually happening. So that's good. Because I was asking like, hey, do you need help? Or will this really happen? It looks like it will really happen. Nice. So yeah. another thing. Well, hey, and, you know, we were in Blast Annual. Uh, 2020 volume one right right that was this a uh, book or magazine yes. I, I guess you call it book i think that, it's a book yeah 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 that unfortunately unfortunately failed the, its kickstarter but they managed it's on to sale. release yeah they released they managed to release it as a pdf instead as an ebook yeah no there's it's a printed it's a printed is available for 52 dollars really Yes, Blast Annual 2020 Volume 1 printed book, 52 Australian dollars. It's on the blastannual.com website. Nice. And then and then you can get the Volume 2 and Volume 1 PDF uh, for 5 Australian dollars. Right. Okay. Well, then you go and check that out. Nice. We'll be somewhere in Volume 1. Yeah. Andrew Fisher wrote a retro perspective. Yeah on our history, which is quite nice. Okay, another news is we had Dwelle Erdball um, yes. oh, as yeah. the last interview before Corona. 
and they are actually working on a new um, show, I would say. Well, I, yeah, I just I just saw that there was a new album that they were working on. Right, right. Yeah, and I just I, I just saw that the other night, and I was like, oh crap! Like out of nowhere, like on on YouTube, it was like right before video, like an ad for Willie Erdball, and I was like, oh wait, I know them. Yeah, yeah, and I was just trying to figure out. Yeah, oh yeah, it's called Engelstrompeten und Teufelsposaunen. Sure. So it is. it's kind of an orchestra hmm. with uh, trumps. Okay, and it's okay. uh, the, uh, the it means angel trumps and devil trumps. Okay, sure. That's um, that's the translation of the uh, show. Yeah. All right. Yep. Yep. So it's they call it an orchestra under the lead of Konrad Oleg. Cool. So, and there's a trailer about that. Yeah, yeah, there is. And That's we what I will, saw. and we will put that as a link also. And properly, when you when you hear this, there will also be some photos you can see. Yeah. Because they got a press kit and they got a copy of the press kit. They're professionals. Yeah. They they know what they're doing. There's a new tool released by Lockiker. It's called the D64 tool. And this info came by Paracuda from the stock. So thank you for that. I don't know what it's doing. <laughs> but but uh, it has been released. <laughs> but I'm sure it's awesome. So check it out. There's a link down there. Yeah. And there's no hint on CSTP or in the comments what's actually doing. It's right. called D64 tool. So it probably has to do it's something probably, with disk images. Yeah, it probably has to do with a D64 tool. Yeah. Let's see. On the 15th of November. Tools for working with D64 images. Okay. Windows. Just sent oh. you the link. Yeah, it's a command line tool for for working with D64 images. So, yeah, so you can show, yeah, show files. Funnily enough, the in the uh, CSDB pictures, they're looking at the scene world directory. I know he, he also tweeted about it on his Twitter. He's a yeah, fan. It's, just, it's for working he's with... A fa he's a fan of us. He's yeah, a fan he, of it's us. for working with... Um, it's for working with D64 images. Um, it's I guess it's a command line sort of version of something like um like like Durmaster from style you know yeah somebody said that they used track sector list of files for a ts loader <laughs> and then to remove the respective directory entries but keeping the bam entries i loved how we had a bam issue last last yeah. time <laughs> so but, but so so it's yeah so it's it's a it's it's basically it's a um it's a it's a it's a uh what what the hell do you call it track and sector editor but for d64 images yeah yeah you know like what you used to do back in the day when you'd have like a 
like uh, you'd be making your 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 discs, your your you know putting together your directory, and you'd you'd make your files you know invisible and stuff, so no one could actually see what they were, and you know all that exactly. stuff. Exactly, I did that too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that's what that's what this is. It's it's it, but it it's a command line tool for Windows. So. Nice. Yes. Because as we've learned, command line works great. We just learned that today. <laughs> so if that's all the news we got, then we should probably take a little trip over to talking Mike about... Mike Clark yes. at Learning Out Insidious. Yeah. Hello. Pardon. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> so we have Mike Clark today. Hello, Mike. Hello. And with Hello. us is AJ and Martin Arman, our Amiga musician. Mm -hmm. So we have some expert in the line today. He's, he's going to ask all these spicy questions. <laughs> <Let's see>. Spicy. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so today we are mainly talking about a plugin which you released the latest version of recently, Insidious. Yes. Yes. Um, the first but, commercial version. Right. But for me, I mean, I interviewed you before, and to me, you were mostly known as an Amiga composer. That's right. right? Yeah. So I wonder how did you actually get the idea to go back to the SIT and making a SIT plugin? Well, because I'd always wanted one. <laughs> Obviously, I grew up before I had an Amiga. The problem with the, with the Commodore 64 is that I was just, I was too young. So I hadn't learned to program then, which was really annoying because I really wanted to do music on the Commodore 64, but I didn't know how. So it wasn't really until the Amiga where I had the ability to do so, thanks to ProTracker. And then later on, I learned to program and then obviously I wished I could have gone back in time and started on the C64 instead. Um, and because I'd grown up with it, I always had a strong affinity with it. And I eventually got myself a hard SID Quattro. So I had four SIDs in my PC. And I used to use that on, on lots of stuff, just, just little bits and pieces here and there. There was nothing really obvious. But there's a certain tone that you, especially on the 6581, you just can't get anywhere else. Yeah. So... The problem was is that the hardsig quattro only has drivers up to windows xp yeah that's true that's restricted so once it I, I tried to stay with it as much as i could but then my other audio software started complaining about updates and refused to install because it said oh you need windows 7 and so i didn't really have any choice then i i, I had to upgrade because otherwise it would have held everything else back and so I kept XP on my on a, on a separate partition, so I can still go back to it and still use it whenever I want. But it is very very cumbersome to do so. So I always wanted a plugin for the SID to get rid of all these problems that you get when you're dealing with real hardware, uh, and I wanted it to sound correct because there's a very specific tone that you get from the SID again, especially with the six five eight one, that you you literally cannot get anywhere else. The bug that occurs in the 6581 does not happen on any other piece of equipment. Yeah. And so I began my quest for the perfect SID emulation. So 
I didn't have to deal with the hardware, and yet I could still have the same sounds that I wanted to use before. And did you think you were successful? I mean, this this battle whether emulation is better or the real machine is happening ever since the first emulator in '94 was released. Yeah, I will say that I am 99% happy with it. And the oh. reason that that one percent is it's it's very very it's a very tiny thing that would like it to do it's, it's very hard to explain uh, it's still with the 6581 filter in general the the emulation of the sid itself is not not really very difficult getting the waveforms up and running and so on that's pretty straightforward the sid doesn't do anything really clever um so it's all quite easy to implement but the, the filter is a is a real pain because it's so weird and the bugs in it occur across the whole analog circuit and there are very there are various points in the circuit that contribute to this error that affects how the, the cutoff works on the filter. And, and to it's get... tough to even grab that because, I mean, you'd have even two different SIDs from the same batch would sound different. That's right, but it's really a... Um, it's difficult to describe without getting into the, <laughs> the real details of it. Um, but let's just say that there is a threshold that changes depending on the chip. Mm -hmm. And that's to do with the sensitivity of the components and the fact that the, the tolerances change, change in different batches when the chip is manufactured. So essentially, you've got a couple of values that, that modify within, within a range. And if you change those values, then you can effectively emulate any of the 6581s. So on Insidious, I've, I've set up optional filter curves so you can change the shape of, of the filter curve. Uh, to, to match some types of 658. But as long as you've got a representation of the average, you've, you've, you've basically got all the bases covered. Because really the only issue is when you try to write something for one specific 6581 and you try to play it on another 6581. But if you've got an emulation, it doesn't matter because the emulation is always going to be exactly the same. Mm -hmm. So as long as the average is covered and you've got the the minimum range and the maximum range, and that's all, all fine, then that's okay. I'm happy with that because I'm not trying to emulate John Smith's 6581 that he bought in 1985. I'm just trying to emulate the SID in general. And it's not being used as a SID player. It's not, not designed for that. And so there's no problem with it playing SIDs and the SID sounding wrong or anything. It sounds exactly as you want it to because it's a, it's a fixed standard. Right. So you imagine that um, if somebody brought out a clone of the 6581 now, they would they would fix it to a specific tone. And then everybody who bought that from then on would have that exact tone on that 6581. And that's really the way the emulation works. So you can you can set some parameters to adjust how it how it sounds depending on the type of 6581, but in general it's very fixed and static. So that's <laughs> interesting thing is most people even don't know how the emulation of the SID even started. I mean, I was doing an interview with Wolfgang Lawrence, who did uh, PZ64, the, one of the first emulators for the Commodore 64, and was DOS, of course. And he, he just borrowed an applet, an, an adlib uh, sound card from a friend 
Mm -hmm. So the first sit emulation at all had no filters whatsoever. Even yeah. the instruments didn't sound didn't sound anywhere close to the Z64. Um, yeah. The Adlib was more uh, Yamaha OPL2 that was used. So um, that is actually the starting point of the sit emulation. What year was that? Ninety-four. Then I would suggest that there's one quite a lot before that, which was the 100 best Commodore 64 tunes on the Amiga. Ah, which, okay. Uh, like a demo, and it was by Per Hakan Sundell. Yeah, uh, and, and, and he did the he did the emulator SS64 um, oh. for for PC the same year. CS64, wasn't it? CCS64. Yeah, it? exactly, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. That was the first one I had on the Amiga, and you, you could scroll up through a hundred different tunes and it played them. Filter didn't work, um, but that didn't matter then. It was amazing to have have that. That was the first one I, I'd ever seen, and that that was of course the thing that that created the the SID file standard. Although it was uh, was it PlaySid, I think it was back then. And then the, exactly PlaySid, yeah. Like yeah. Mm. Right, and. Um, now that you said you had this um, first commercial release, and before it wasn't commercial, so it was a free plugin. It was free, but you needed to have the full version of Reactor to use it. I mean, it's still available, so if you've got the full version of Reactor, you can get the free one. But that's restricted to people who've paid all that money for Reactor. And Reactor's amazing, and I think everybody should have it. But even so, <laughs> most people don't. Um, but... Many people obviously asked, how can I play it without Reactor? And, well, you can't. So the only way to make something that works outside of Reactor is to, you, you basically pay for a license from Native Instruments, and then you can use it in the free Reactor player. So the plan was, is that if I release a commercial version, I mean, that, that was what I had to do, because I have to pay for the licenses to, to Native Instruments to be able to run outside of full Reactor. So I thought, well, I can probably sell enough to cover that. So I started on a new version and essentially rewrote the whole thing from scratch again because I wanted, if this was going to be commercial, it's not enough that I was happy with what it did. And I, to be honest, I was never entirely happy with the free version. But if it was going to be released, I didn't ever want that to come back at me and somebody to say, well, this is wrong and that's wrong and clearly that's wrong. So I started the whole thing again from scratch and fixed all the problems I had before, made it sound a lot more accurate than, than the free one was, uh, and then got various people involved, got Rob Hubbard and Chris Hulsbeck and Martin Galway and Jason Page and Jammer and Hellman and all those sorts of people, because I was happy with it at that point. It, it wasn't a case of um, I wasn't trying to get them involved and say, oh, it's nearly like the Sid, it's close enough. No, I <laughs> Really, really close to the city. So, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So it's taken me another year from when I decided to actually release the commercial version to get this one up to scratch. And it's a complete redesign of the user interface and, and everything. So yeah, it was a pretty major undertaking. And the 6581 filter, I redid it three times. <laughs> and it really was it's just not, not doing what I wanted to do. Delete, try again, <laughs> and then slowly managed to get it all right and get it all together and then finally I was happy with it. <laughs> that's what we have today. 
did you have any base, any example where you based this on, or is this all from scratch? I mean, there must have been something around like that before your product, or not? It, there are other VSTs, but they're all absolutely dreadful. And that was the reason I made it in the first place. When my hard SID was, uh, I wouldn't say unusable, but certainly unusable in production terms without switching on XP and then trying to sample a load of stuff to use. When it was unusable in real time, when I'm doing music. Um, obviously, I went to see what the current state was of all the, the current SID emulations, and they were all absolutely appalling. They were terrible. Every single one of them was just bad. It, terrible interface, didn't sound correct. Most of them haven't even got a filter that is anything approaching how the real SID sounds. Uh, and so I just thought, well, I've got no choice. I'm going to have to do it myself. And so that's what I did. So, yeah, it was completely started from scratch. Uh, just uh, started listening and I, I knew what the basic specification was. So I just started from there. Sawtooth, Pulse Whip uh, and so on. And then uh, did my comparisons. That's not quite right. Right. I'll fix that. Fix that. And I mean, it took it took a long time. I'm not full time, obviously, but here and there, uh, the free one. I've been developing for about five years, probably just less than five years. And then I've had another year of this version to do commercial. So yeah, completely from scratch. So Martin, what would you add as a user perspective? I mean, you use this this stuff, right? Because when we spoke about it in our team meeting last week, Martin was like, oh yeah, I know this software. I'm using it actually. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I bought it the first day it was out. <laughs> I got the message from Impact Soundworks and I had to buy it. <laughs> and actually, I'm no sound programmer. I, I, I hate programming sounds. I use synth a lot, but I, I really don't am into sound design. I actually use um, yeah presets, mangle them a, a little bit. So it's the, the basic stuff. So And uh, that's the point. I never made music on the C64, actually. That's the point when I started making music on the Amiga because mm. it was using samples only. That was what I knew from playing keyboard. And um, had had my four channels, could uh, do some uh, sample stuff, and that was it, actually. And uh, now, uh, having the Insidious, I can uh, turn on the keyboard. True. <laughs> yeah, and, and you use it. Actually, that's it, and that's awesome because I think uh, also had some um, uh, SID expansions for other synthesizers like uh, and Romplers like the Nexus, for example. Mm -hmm. And so you could use C64 like sounds, and they were actually okay yeah. in the perspective of using in in in, in modern productions. But it what it what it what really wasn't the real thing actually. And uh, now having this software and uh, I can compare the two sits then <laughs> that's that's actually awesome you you hear the difference you feel the difference uh, and uh, with the user interface people like me are able just to have real-time access and that's pure awesomeness uh. good. well thank you for, for buying that um, it's good <laughs> it's good to hear the people I mean you're you're basically using it in exactly the way that I hope um, it's the reason why I got everybody involved. I mean, it's got 350 presets uh, mm -hmm. because I wanted that wide range. And if you listen to the, each of the different people, the very, very different styles of, of sounds that, that everybody's done there. And um, the user interface, I mean, I spent about three months just on designing that interface because there were, <laughs> there were some 
important criteria for it. One is that, that as I mentioned before, that the existing SID attempts, the, the interfaces are just so horrible and cryptic and just really difficult to use. So I wanted to get, get rid of all that and do something that's very, very easy and straightforward. But I also wanted to do something that was very Commodore 64, and this is an important point. I didn't want to put in a load of stuff like modulation matrix and oh you can you can attach this to this and that LFO can be controlled by that LFO and, and so on. No no I just wanted it to do what the Commodore 64 would do. Yeah. So controls are relatively simple but you can do a hell of a lot with them. But everything with the step table and, and everything how it operates it, it's it's designed to work how play routines work on the Commodore 64. So the the, the key was to present that in in a simple way. And um I, I, I think I've done that. <laughs> it wasn't easy. Went through loads of different designs and, and yeah. When you see the final product you think, yeah, 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 okay, fine, I understand. But to get it to that point, that was a real, real took a lot of thought, a real lot of thought gone into it. So yeah, I'm I'm glad that's working. So thank you for that. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> How about dig ditches? Digital samples, is that a feature that's also in? Because that is what the Commodore 64 was famous for. I mean, if you if you remember um, music like Skate, Skate or Die from Rob yeah. Hubbard, for example. Yeah. It doesn't do that. For There are two reasons for that. One is that it's just very, very simple 4-bit samples. There's no... There's no weirdness to it. It's just a four-bit sample player. That, that's what the C64 does. I could argue that there is a little bit of non-linearity on, on the outputs, but forgetting that, you wouldn't really hear that in general use. So you can just decimate any old sampler down to four bits and reduce the sample rate, and you'll get basically exactly the same result. And the other thing is that if I'd have put the sample capability directly in, then I would have had to have an interface just for sample management. And that would have been a whole world of pain. <laughs> <laughs> because I would have had to have a, a list of things and then have to call instruments and address them in certain ways. And it, it would have been a nightmare. Yeah, so it didn't really make sense to, to go to the end. However, it does have an external input and you can route external audio through the filter. So if you wanted, you can decimate your samples and route them through the 6581 or the 8580 uh, mm. to make it sound real. Although saying that, the, the output, the sample player doesn't go through the filters on the on the 6581, not using the volume method anyway, but new methods like uh, like that by the human coding machine, uh, he can route samples through the filter, but then he can play 44 kilohertz or something. <laughs> Crazy, amazing technique that he's done. But the original player uh, of Playing samples through the volume register. No, that was a deliberate choice not to go down that route just because of the the complexity it adds and the fact that you can quite easily emulate that anyway, just using a sampler and a decimator. Nice. Um, when when I saw your announcement that you are going commercial with your new release, um, on your Facebook wall alone, your fellow uh, composer uh, pioneers were amazed by the sound quality and the feedback was was great i was like wow this must be big so we have to re-invite mike to talk about it <laughs> um because i'm not a musician i mean you know 
Um, but but I know that, uh, for example, on YouTube in the past years, there were a lot of, you know, C64's Zidonized music. And yeah. then I was always commenting, uh, commenting like, this doesn't sound like on a real sit. Yeah. Mm. Um, well, that's that's. I think that a lot of that is also the fact that people don't really grasp. It's like when they they see sixty four eyes a picture, and it's like, okay, yeah, it's pixelated, but it's not using colors that ever happened on the C sixty four, and it, you know, that that resolution never happened on the C sixty four. It's just, you know, that's been the case for a long time, though. Even uh, when you'd see music done on the AY chip that had pulse width modulation, that's this advertises. C64 SID emulation. Well, it's not, is it? It's just PWM. It's not, yeah, yeah. not exactly a SID at all. And the Pokey as well. I've seen people doing, oh, Pokey can do what the SID does. No, it can't. No. <laughs> the Pokey was the sound ship of the Atari, right? Yeah, yeah. That's right, yeah. Right. Very strange, strange chip. Yeah. <laughs> ah. Very but... Very weird. <laughs> But I think Rob Hubber did a good good job in um, converting um, international karate on the pokey ship. That was quite an achievement. If if you spend the time, you can get it to sound pretty good, but you can't get it sound sounding Sid good. <laughs> there's just there's just no comparison. There really isn't. Yeah, the Sid had a lot of weird little, uh, you know, crackles and farts and sounds that normal. You know, a lot of computer audio stuff was beeps and bloops and stuff like that, yeah. and and the those like heavy like bass farts that the that the synth could do. <laughs> Nothing else can do those. Yeah. Bass farts. Yeah, no, seriously, yeah. like that that that's like that's always been the hallmark of that like boom, you know, kind of like you know you feel it in your in your in your bowels when that thing makes a noise. <laughs> Like like when you when you see a Zach McCracken intro when he's snoring, mm-hmm. you think like wow that's kind of a weird sound you know. Um, it could actually be the beginning of dubstep. <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. Um, it's 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 interesting. So so we could say that the modern technology like um, softened the quality of sit emulation or music because people wouldn't remember how it originally sounded and then those remixes on youtube appearing like c64 like people would think like yeah this is how it sounded like 20 years ago or 30 years ago which it actually didn't and and then 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 somebody like you comes and well turning the world around and saying like hey this is dreadful. I will make something that really sounds like the original one. It works. It works in the opposite way as well. There have been people on forums who've said that that doesn't sound how I remember, and it's because in their mind, because they haven't heard the real Sid for such a long time, and when they did in the 80s, it was through a horrible little television speaker about that big, that they think it should sound a lot worse than it actually does. Uh, but <laughs> Sid is. It's, it's very, very capable, and it sounds very, very good. Uh, but people don't remember it so much that way. They remember it as being a lot more nasty and grimy right. for that reason. Well, I'm not used to hearing speakers or 200-pound headphones or, you know, <laughs> when you put it through those 
types of um, put it through big speakers or headphones, it, it's a big difference. You know, it, you have to remember that when Bob Yanis designed it, he wanted a synthesizer, and he went on to found Ensonic. And originally, he wanted it to have 32 voices, but he didn't have space on the, on the chip or the time to do multiplexing on the oscillator for it. So, you know, he knew what he wanted. He didn't just want a beeper in, in a computer. He wanted he wanted a full-on synthesizer, and it does sound that way. You know, it's, it's, it's very, very good quality piece of hardware. And after I finished the, that, that last version of the 6581, it, it really... Oh, it, <laughs> I honestly don't know how he could have done it. I really don't. It's so, so weird and finicky, and he must have spent so long just tweaking resistor values and stuff to get it right. It's a very, very strange little beast that sounds marvelous. Now I tell you a secret about this little... Uh, monitor speaker that you mentioned or TV speaker so to speak um, originally what I did when I was a child and I got my uh, my first C64 I urged my grandfather to make an adapter cable that would go line in into my stereo oh, so yeah. I, 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 I for my own machine when I was 10 I got it hooked up to my um, stereo and it was amazing and you know and certain certain music when you put up the volume the walls were shaking sometimes you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and then my mother was like so what is that kind of plea plop you are listening to again <laughs> i imagine also that the, the walls were shaking when white came on the screen <laughs> so, <laughs> interference from that big chip <laughs> yeah white so, so, um, so uh, fortunately, I never had to well you bother with bad sound quality, because I was used to this, you know, adapter cable. Yeah, very good. That's uh, that's the stuff dreams were made of back then. <laughs> it's it's interesting that apparently so many, so few, so few people had the idea of of um, doing that actually. I don't think it's had the idea. I think it's having the know-how how to do it. I mean, it's not like it is now. You can't just go on the internet and say, how can I have an audio out on my Commodore 64? Right. Right. Information is very difficult to come by back then. It's all, it was all word of mouth for the most part, unless you had something right. in a magazine somewhere that said, here's a, here's a nice hack you can do. And then right. you go to, but, um, to try and do it for you. <laughs> but it's not, it's not like my grandfather soldered a cable. He just got, you know, a, um, an audio Y cable. So it would have one input, two outputs. And yeah. one would go back to the screen, and the other one would go to the serial. So it's not like you had to solder a cable. Right. But you still have to know where to get one of those cables. And That's true. That, that That's cable true. didn't even work in the first place. That's I true. I know, know anything like that. Uh, I would have liked to have done that. But now I'm stuck with the television. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Yeah. I actually used to have a, uh, uh, I had a, a cable that had an audio in on it. For this because you could there was a there was an audio in ch uh, channel that went through the SID. that's right yeah 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 so i actually um i had my my tape deck or whatever it was that i i used to use and, and a lot of games back then didn't have in-game audio or in-game sounds you know it was especially if it was like a bigger game like an rpg or something yeah so i would route my uh mm. i'd have my my tape deck or whatever going to that audio in 
and then that would go through the SID out to my monitor so that I could actually just add music to the game through like this external whatever I was doing. So it would all come through the same speaker, you know? That's cool. Uh, the, the external in is actually the reason for most of the noise that you get out of the Commodore 64. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you cut that pin, then all oh, the noise drops. <laughs> yes. Yeah, much better quality audio. <laughs> yeah, it's very but, obscure to put in there, the externally. Mm-hmm. But you would also lose the charm, I guess. Well, <laughs> some of it, yeah. I mean, I, I, certainly with Insidious, it's it's an emulation of the SID chip. It's not an emulation of the C64. So it's not intended to include all of the noise that you get when it's in a Commodore 64. Of which <laughs> several, <laughs> so, so I wonder, what is your opinion about those... Um, reproducted, um, redesigned SID chips that are around, you know, like Ultimate Swin SID, PLA SID, and what you get nowadays. PLA SID? What was it it again, called again, this this SID? FPGA SID? FPGA SID, right, sorry. They they are impressive to different levels. I think FPGA SID is probably the most comprehensive one. And the one that's the most accurate. Um, but the the original chips are slowly disappearing. Eventually, there'll be none left. So it's very good that this has happened, mm-hmm. and somebody has come up with a way to fill that hole of the of the dying breed. Obviously, people will complain. Oh, it's not the same. It's never the. No, it's not not the original. But if it's close enough, then it is. And certainly for the purposes of having a C64 to play games on, which is why most people would do that, then it. It's the need perfectly. And yeah, FPGA SID is, is, is very accurate. It is very good. Mm-hmm. The other ones are good. Slightly yeah. deficient in some areas, uh, but FPGA SID is probably the best one. Yeah, and, and again, people that argue that, you know, it's not the original SID, uh, again, you know, as I mentioned before, like, you know, the original SIDs didn't all sound like the original SIDs. So, you know, it's it's SID-esque. It, 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 it captures, it's it's within the, 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 um, the framework of what an original SID would sound like. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I, I it, it's similar to any any emulation against analog hardware. I, mm-hmm. I, I remember seeing when when Roland brought out whatever the last TB three hundred three clone was, and people were reviewing it and really going overboard with this, this tiny discrepancy. Oh, it doesn't quite sound as basic. But the difference between that emulation and the original is about the same amount of difference as that between an original and another original because they're all slightly different and it's the same with the SID they're all slightly different so if an emulation is very close to the SID the differences to the real SID it might be different to your SID but your SID will be just as different to somebody else's SID and to somebody else's and so on and that's that's always the case when when you deal with analog gear uh, you're never going to get it absolutely perfect because no two are absolutely identical. There's right. always going to be some difference, even between the same product. Always. And here, here's the thing: what most people don't know, back back in the 80s, 90s, there were certain um, numbers of SIDs that were actually broken and sold inside the machines. Um, I, I bought one from a friend, from a school friend, mm-hmm. and um, one of the SID voices was totally missing. 
And he never noticed that because he didn't know how it was supposed to sound. Oh, no, what a disaster. <laughs> That's all. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know any came from the factory broken. I know that you can break them. They're quite sensitive oh. to static and stuff. Um, yeah, no, my, my original was a... Um, my, my first C64 was a... Uh, 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 6581R4AR is the actual model. Uh, filters didn't work. Okay. And I had I had no idea. I thought I thought I had the newer one, the eighty five eighty, and I thought that for years until until something else broke on it, and I pulled the chip out, and and then someone was like, "No, that's not what it's supposed to sound like." And I, I put in like the correct one, and I'm like, "Wait a minute, this is totally different." Yeah, yeah, it can be. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Uh, Martin Galway had a, a calibration thing that he wanted in games towards the later games that he was doing, so that he would calibrate the SID correctly for your wow. SIDs. Music sounded correct. Wow, hmm. was that was ever that... implemented? I feel like like I, I may have seen that somewhere. No, he, maybe he in a demo. No, he tried to get it put in in some of the later games, but the programmers were not particularly hmm. interested. <laughs> but but there are some games, some later games that actually auto detect what's in the in the yeah. machine or let you switch on and off the filters manually. Yeah, but between the six five eight one and the eight five eighty, because exactly. They, Operate quite differently, especially with regards to the filter. Didn't, uh, didn't Beachhead do something like that? There was a thing in the beginning. I, I might be making that up, but there, I feel like there was a thing in the beginning saying like, like, do you want to use the filters or give you an option? I, I got to look that up. There was there was a game I have that does that. Mm. I I I know of two games. One is the German, the German text adventure Saul Crystal, and the other one was um, Newcomer. Which was this uh, 2001 game that had over 14 disc sites in RPG? Oh. <laughs> That's a big game. Lord. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I guess I guess it's it's to this day it's the biggest game on the C64 ever. Uh, yeah, and and they had they had two files to load. One was um, for the old, and one was for the new chip. And when you ordered the game. As an original in a package and on discs with labels, you actually had to pick during your order which set chip you use in your C64. Wow, wow that, that's madness, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, if I mean, I mean, I mean, I I did an interview with Chris Quick, who was a sound manager at Epix back in the day, and they even didn't know about the NTSC and Paul difference. Mm -hmm. So um, they never knew that. California games or Maniac Mansion or Sack McCracken would sound too slow here in Germany. Yeah. Or other places in Europe. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's that's the other thing is that all the music that I know is too fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 And for us Europeans, it's too slow, you know. I only ever had to do an NTSC version of one game, I think it was. I think in Pro Tracker on the Amiga, it was easy just to adjust, adjust the uh, the tempo enough, and then that's it. So it's just one number change basically, and it sounds almost exactly the same speed. But on right. the Tomato game, everything broke, just because of <laughs> some effects I was using in in, in Pro Tracker. Um, so I had to I had to do very specific NTSC versions of some of the tunes of that. To stop mm. That was the only game I had to do that with. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. 
It's interesting. You would think as a game developer, you had more resources and you would get info from the manufacturer, Commodore, about the difference of the machines worldwide, but seemed like nobody cared. Not really. Uh, especially in, in the early games market, there, there wasn't much concept of, of selling globally. I mean, it was a very, in, in the UK, it's a very insular, small industry. When it started out, you, you'd buy your games by mail order. So it's you, you're literally sending money to some guy in his house and he would <laughs> shoot back the game that he wrote. That, that's how it yeah. So, yeah, there's no concept of, oh, this might sell in Japan, therefore I'll have to look out for various issues with NTSC. Yeah. And even yeah. when it was NTSC fixed, I remember a lot of the earlier games, um, well, into the 90s, they'd be NTSC fixed, but NTSC fixing was making it work on NTSC. It wasn't wasn't fixing the speed, it was just making sure it didn't glitch out. So it yeah. still ran too fast, yeah, <laughs> but it right. ran. That's right. Um, I have actually have one example. I have the NTSC version of World Games, and I tried it out on my Palsy 64. And at the weightlifting event, it would simply crash because of some timing issues. Oh yeah. Like okay, so they didn't fix the music. At least they made sure the game doesn't crash. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Never know what's gonna happen. <laughs> well, you had that. Uh, what was the game? Uh, the movie monsters were. Where it was painful in, in in Europe because it just ran so incredibly slow. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and another example would be the whole test drive series, test drive mm -hmm. one, test drive two, which is slow Grand, to begin with, or Grand Prix Circuit, where you would think in Europe like this is so slow. How would anybody dare to play this racing game? It's not even racing; it's slow motion. <laughs> and then I got my NTC SX64. It's walking quickly. And I was like, "Wow, it's 25 percent faster now. That's really making a difference, you know." Yeah, it could do. Mm. Yeah, it's, um, it's it's amazing in a way, you know. <laughs> Thankfully, those issues have mostly gone away now. Yeah. <laughs> Although you get other issues, um, which again mostly gone away now but on the ps3 for example on the ps3 sony insisted that you support four by three televisions and that was a real pain wow. everybody might screen telly by then but but sony still insisted as part of their technical requirements that they had to support four by three televisions and that's really bad because it messes up all of your gooey and everything it's yeah. horrible having to support that we yeah, have similar issue still still went on uh, yeah, not now, but uh, it went on for probably up to about uh, 2010, something like that. Hmm. Oh, later than that, actually. I mean, you can still release PS3 games now. I don't, I, I'm sure they've changed the, the, the technical requirements now. At least I hope they have. There can't be a requirement to have 4x3 TVs anymore. That's an interesting thing, because I always assumed that, that games like that would just, you know, they would, they would adapt to whatever... The screen resolution that you were using was that's that's interesting i didn't even think of that not on consoles uh it's, it was 16 by 9 or actually it was a 16 10 as well now it's ages into the three game i think it was 16 by 9 possibly 16 10 and then 4 3 you have to support all but hmm. it's user interfaces scale scalable user interfaces are real painted 
having to do scalable interface just for that are oh, horrible. And you know, it's such a tiny percentage of people who are going to be playing it like that. But yeah. there's so much work you have to do. Because if you, if you know you've got a fixed ratio, everything's just very fixed graphics. You don't have to worry about it. You can save loads of time. You don't have to make a scalable display. That's why the iPhone was good for developers when it first came out, because it was everyone was exactly the same. It was all exactly the same resolution, the yeah. same dynamics, didn't have to mess with it. And then eventually they brought out one that's oh, what was it, the iPad four times the size, and that's not so bad because you yeah. just you buy four. And then they brought out a taller one and everyone was messed up then. <laughs> <laughs> but but you still have those timing issues in a way. I mean I mean even modern consoles still have this NTSC Paul issue. I mean, I mean, um, um, even my Nintendo Switch can be... Yeah, but it's, not, between... it's not tied to the, the... The speed of the game is not tied to the raster refresh right, rate right, of the right. screen anymore. Right. That's that's Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You just... You, you move in floating point values, so you, you <laughs> take steps accordingly to compensate for that. Yeah. Nice. Um, so, so I wonder, um, your your plugin, your Insidious, or even the earlier uh, free versions, mm-hmm. was that used in professional productions, or is there any use case example that you have? That's a good question. Actually, I don't know about Insidious six five eight one because I've got no idea who would use that because because it's free. Anyone could download it. I wouldn't know who downloaded it. I mean, it, it, it's been downloaded about 12,000 times, so it must have been used somewhere. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so, but, you, but I, it, there's no way for me to know. No, absolutely no idea. We now know because we will use it in, in hundreds of productions now. Well, we okay, I, I've used it. So in, in, in <laughs> the games that I've worked on, yeah, I've used it. So it's definitely been in some professional productions with regards to that. But other people, yeah, it's, it's just, there's no way I can, unless somebody comes and says, I've used it for this. Yeah, there's no way of knowing. I hope it has. Uh, it must have been, especially with that many. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's interesting for me. It's rare to interview somebody who is so insisting on accuracy of his product. You know, I mean, most people are at some point saying, like, it's good enough. Now let's stop and move on. Well, I made it for me, so it had to be accurate enough that I was happy with it. And as I said before, I wasn't happy with any of the other attempts because they were so deficient. They don't do ring mod or hard sync or the fit the fill. Nothing did the filter. The only thing that, that is very close to the filter is reset. And there was no easy way to use reset in a in a digital audio workstation. It's mm-hmm. it's really just used as a SID player. So originally when I started doing when I, when I realized that I had to do it myself, I just thought, I'll get Reset, I'll stick it in a VST wrapper, and I'll just use that. But then there's so much to do with regards to that. It's it's not the emulation part, it's making the GUI. Then I've got to write a GUI system, code it myself, it's got to have menus and controls and knobs, and, blah, blah. and then it's going to have to support saving and loading patches, and then there's all the VST save and loading that you have to deal with, and doing binary dumps and stuff. And there's just loads of stuff around it. And that's why I use Reactor, because it's all... There's loads of stuff it just handles for you, and I just wanted to get on with making making the, the emulation itself. So, as I said, it was just for me. I just wanted to have a, an accurate recreation of, of the real hardware that I had. And because right. I'd used the real hardware, 
it's not like I'm trying to do something that is as accurate as I remember. Very easy for me to just switch the hard sit on and say, well, that doesn't sound right, clearly. I'll have to do something about that. And I, I just wasn't happy with it if it wasn't correct. So, yeah, it, it, it was just for me, and that's why it's so accurate. It's not like I'm going to do a sit emulation because I think lots of people will buy that. No, it was I'm going to do a sit emulation because I, I need it. So that's why I've really gone to town on the accuracy with it. Just to be right. What's most important for me as an... Uh, as an approach for uh, producing modern music um, is that there are lots of VSTs actually. There are a lot of synthesizers where you can kind of get, achieve an, a similar sound. That's okay. Yeah. Nobody needs a real C64 sound in an actual production. But that's the point. If you layer and you do layer in modern productions a lot, you yeah. get this kind of texture because the SID has a kind of magic no other VST can provide. And uh, actually, we, we layered uh, in our actual production. Um, I, to I, I was w talking to my uh, production friend from the Switzerland, and, and he, he asked me, why, why did you buy another VST? We have enough VSTs here. We have, we have synthesizers here. We have the uh, Access Virus TI standing here. We can use a lot of fat sounding synthesizers. But yeah. uh, I uh, said to him, okay, give me, the, give me the MIDIs. I'll layer the C64 in it. A real 64 with Insidious. I first tried to do this thing with what's it called? This MIDI interface for the C64 with uh, this uh, synth thing. Um, Messiah. Messiah. Oh, okay. So yeah. I, but actually, never had the time to get this working here, and actually, so it was a pain in the ass for 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 this thing getting started. And and now I I actually opened up Reactor, fired Insidious, used the MIDI file from the virus. And boom, there you go. And uh, I, I got the uh, wave to my friend there, and he said, "Oh, what's this? This is something. Is there? It's moving. It's a moving sound. It's an actual magic texture in it now. And and so the Insidious now is being used in modern productions with an ease, and that's awesome. That's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> that's the idea. That's excellent. Yes, I'm glad that that's that's. It's filling a together. gap. It's, it's filling this gap because all VSTs try to sound more fat than the other, more bright, more what what you what you know it. But this is the th true thing. It's dirty. Well, the state sure. speaks for itself. That's that's the key thing. Yeah. You know, if I say that Insidious sounds amazing, which I think it does, I'm not saying Insidious sounds amazing. I'm saying the SID sounds amazing. Right. <laughs> the fact that Insidious sounds amazing is a side effect of the fact. That <laughs> <laughs> And it does yeah. have a, a tone to it. There's a there's a very specific tone, especially when you stick the six five eight one filters on it. It's it's it sounds just like the said. <laughs> it's just, there's something about it, yeah, definitely. And and the six five eight one is is weird, of course. And when you get it to, to break, crush its distortion threshold, it's uh, totally unique. But also the the controllability of it as well means that there are some things you can't really do on other synths. So the fact that you When you do ring mod or hard sync, you have independent control of the carrier and the modulator waves. And very, very few synths allow you to do that, to, to just access them totally independently and do what you want with them. Because they try to be easy. And so you set up your oscillators and then you switch on ring mod. And then you have a ring mod, which operates however they determined you can use ring mod to make it easy to use. 
Whereas because you've got direct access to all the parameters on, on the SID, it, you can do things you can't do on other SIDs. And so you get some other weird sounds out of it that way. And the wavetable stuff as well. Uh, but, but not, there are very few things that work in that way as well. And again, that's just how, how the SID works, thanks, thanks to the C64. So it just emulates all of that. So yeah, it's just it's a unique a unique beast. Yeah, and that's why I've that's why, that's why I've never let go of it because there's, <laughs> there's nothing else like it until now. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you plan to improve it? What's the next plans? Uh, what do you mean? Perfect. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, sure. uh, what did I want to do? There, there are a couple of. It's not really to do with the sound, it's to do with control. So uh, I wanted to add a few more options for the live R mode for the arpeggiation. Um, and also I've got a list of things which, which I've got for improvements on it. And there's not many, to be honest, because it does pretty much everything I wanted to do. Um, so there's improvements to live R mode. Uh, filter sort of does everything I want. Yeah, that's it, really. <laughs> <laughs> okay, too tough question. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, well, I've, I've basically made this, the, the plugin that I always wanted. So there's not a lot that I want it to do now that, that it can't do already. Because it, it, it's it's designed that this is what, when, it, when I decided that I wanted to do, well, I needed to do this, I've just created the thing that I wanted back then. That's all it is. If, that, if, if something had, had done, what Insidious does, obviously I wouldn't have had to make Insidious. And now that I've got it, well, it, it operates in exactly the way I wanted it to. So there's not that many improvements that I could make to it. Even in the, 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 the tone as well, there, there are little tweaks I can make here and there, but it's not really going to improve it. It'll just change things a little bit. Mm. Uh, there's a couple of very minor things I could do to the 6581 filter. But again, it's not really an improvement. It's just a change. So I could make it a little bit closer to one of my other SIDs instead of, because <laughs> I've, I've got I've got one SID of each revision, and it's not that the revision is that important in the changing tone of the SIDs, but nevertheless, all of my four SIDs sound quite different in terms of the filter. And so it, it's currently mostly based on SID number one, but I could always adjust it a little bit towards SID two or three if, it, if I wanted to. But again, it's not really an improvement, it's just a change, so there's not really that much left I can do to it. I'm sure people will, over time, pop up and say, I need to do this, I want it to do that. And <laughs> then we'll see. <laughs> you, you said you approached um, famous composers on the Commodore 64, like Chris Hillsbeck, Martin Galway. So how did you go about that? Did you just lend them a beta version of the plugin and said, like, try it out, how it sounds for you, if you approve it or not? Well, I've, I've known them for a long time. I mean, yeah, I, I'm a gay musician. I've been for 30 years, so you know I know quite a lot of people. So I've known Martin for oof, oh, a long time now, probably 16, 17 years. I've known Chris a long time as well. Um, Jason Page, yeah, 20 years. So they they all basically knew that I was doing something like this. And uh, when I just asked them, said, right, well, I'm, I'm nearly ready now. Uh, would you would you contribute? please. <laughs> and everyone, that, that's, a, that's a really cool thing. There, there wasn't really anybody who just went, well, I don't know, I'm not sure. Everyone was like, yeah, of course. Great. Right. Thanks very much. So what happened there was it, I got it to a stage where it was 
<laughs> well, I'll say almost finished, but what, what number did I got up to release candidate something like 53 <laughs> 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 times. I thought, right, this is it now. This this can be released. And then, no, something changed and some bug appeared. And ah. mm. So uh, it got to a point where it had to go to Native Instruments. Uh, Native Instruments does this encoding process. So it was at a stage where it was basically feature complete, sort of. Um, so it went to Native Instruments and came back. And that, mean, that meant that it could then run in the Reactor player. And that was important because not everybody had Reactor. A few people did, but not everyone. So it, it needed to run in Reactor Player for them to be able to do the presets and send them back to me. So once I had that, yeah, everybody got, uh, we got some test serial numbers back. So everyone got their serial number registered so they could use it. And then they went away and made some noises, sent them back to me. And then I uh, folded them in to be embedded in, in the final product. Awesome. Awesome. Fixed loads more bugs. And then after I got them all back, I decided I'm going to redo the filter again. So I started again. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, yeah, eventually eventually got there, uh, just closing down all these little bugs and features. Even in the last, uh, the last what, three weeks, I, I, I realized that I could extend the step table from 12 steps to 16. So everyone had done their presets with, with 12 steps, but then I realized, hold on a minute, I've got a whole wasted bit of GUI there. So I extended that to 16 steps. And of course, that broke a load of the presets. I had to spend another couple of days fixing everything yeah, right at the last minute. But that, that's the way it goes. Mm -hmm. just right. That's why I say CEP, continu Continuous Improvement Process. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's that. <laughs> Difficult for me to leave it alone. But, yeah, nice. Got there. Got there. Great. So, so now it's just left that you make a. Um, a sit music piece for a commercial Z64 game or something. Well, the problem with that is that to do that, I'd have to go back to GoTracker or something. And GoTracker is an absolute pain to use. <laughs> and it is especially after having Insidious, because I wanted Insidious to be that easy. Um, saying that, though, there is a possibility that there might be a way to use Insidious to end up with something that can be played on the C64. So that will be investigated. Um, Ooh. There are two things to do. One is that um, there's, there's, there should be a way to get it to be able to play SID files. So that will need another VST. So basically a, another plugin to be a SID player, which will then feed into Insidious, and then Insidious will be able to play it as, a, as just a, a SID player. But another possibility where I can export all of the registered data in real time, and then we'll come out with a binary dump that can then be processed to allow that to be then played on the C64. Wow! So I'll, I'll be investigating that. Wow! So so if if you if you have finally investigated and you made it possible, will you supply us a C64 tune for the disc magazine that we run? Oh right, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And maybe for the Amiga version too. I mean, oh, that would be we, awesome. We have we have Amiga and C64 version of the magazine. Oh God! See, I did some Amiga stuff uh, like six months ago when I when I went to the uh, Amiga Island event, and oh, it was painful because <laughs> it had been probably oh I don't know 15, 20 years since I'd put ProTracker on. Oh, and it was so difficult. Oh, I was sitting there thinking, my God, I, this used to be my full-time job. 
how how did I? Put it? <laughs> even just getting the instruments into Pro Tracker, it's just a, such a such a pain to do. Everything right. was just I'd just forgotten what it was like. But of course, back then that that was the best the best there was, mm-hmm. and uh, I became very. <laughs> Uh, but, but since then, I've, uh, I've I've had a lot more options, and going back to it was it was difficult. Yeah, really. Well, really I mean, I mean, we got an intro tune from Yeruntel, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, a lot of things. He's, he's still been entering demo competitions. He did that track with Elman, the Sky yeah. People. Very impressive. That that was that was pretty much amazing. It really sounded like the Sky yeah, yeah. tone. Like yeah. wow. Yeah. But then, if if Elman's involved, then the Sid can sound like anything on earth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So so we have a deal here. If you figure it out, trying to rope him into yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when when you have a time where it's not too painful for you, that's yeah. that's probably the thing. Use yeah, the Windows yeah. Windows binary for the Pro Tracker. It's very easy, and you can drag and drop uh, IFF files in it. It's easy. So. <laughs> so which one is that? Pardon? Into which? Into which what? Program, ProTracker. ProTracker. It's it's just a ProTracker pro binary standalone for the for the for for Windows. I'm oh, actually using it for for doing mod files for my, well, by myself. Using in in Ireland, uh, the ProTracker 2.3D clone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's it's exactly the same, and that was because at first I started in WinUAE, and it was just a nightmare, and then I, I found ProTracker 2.3D clone, and that was. Oh, that made the world a difference. Yeah, that was very, very good. Yeah, very pleasing. <laughs> I see experts. They know what they are talking about. <laughs> well, um, so for, from my side, it would be covered. I don't know, yeah, guys. So do you have anything left can, to ask? Yeah, where can people go to find this and, and to get this? Insidious. Uh, yes. Impact Soundworks. Impact Soundworks had previously released Super Audio Cards. And what happened was I was... Uh, I was just just trying to gauge the interest, really, that if I was going to do a commercial version. Because, uh, as I said before, it was impossible for me to release it for free. I mean, I would have liked to have done that, because, again, I only made it for me. But because of the licensing things that I have to pay to Native Instruments, it had to be commercial. So I I went and sort of went and asked, how much do you think you'd pay for a, for a, a very good SID emulation in, as a VST plugin and so on? And uh, Andrew from Impact Soundworks just got in touch and said we might be interested in releasing that. So yeah, we talked about that, and it's good because they've got Super Audio Cards, so they've already got a big bank of big audience there who already into retro stuff, and that that was just a uh, worked out very well for both of us. So yeah, Impact Soundworks. If you can go to their website, you'll find Insidious on. Awesome. Perfect. We'll put a link Perfect. to everything below in the podcast description. Thanks a lot, Mike. Okay. Thank you, sir. See ya. Bye bye. Nice one. <laughs> Been a pleasure. And for me.